Hello and welcome to the September instalment of the Shameless Book Club. This month we read You and Me on Vacation by Emily Henry and boy oh boy did it deliver on its promise to be a sugary, frothy read. Protagonists Alex and Poppy have nothing in common. She's a wild child, he wears khakis, she has insatiable wanderlust, he prefers to stay home with a book... And somehow, ever since a fateful car share home from college many years ago, they are the very best of friends. For most of the year, they live apart. She's in New York and he's in their small hometown. But every summer for a decade, they go on holiday together. It's a story of girl meets boy, girl befriends boy, girl falls in love with boy, girl loses boy. And then finally, of course, girl gets boy back. Man, oh man, do we have some thoughts about it. But before we get to any of those thoughts, I may as well introduce you both. I am joined by my magnificent co-hosts and friends, Zara McDonald and Annabelle Lee. Hi. Hey. We got magnificent. I know. <laughs> I, 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 do, I do feel pretty magnificent today. <laughs> the stakes are high. You better perform. Guys, let's jump straight into it. As always, we need to introduce the author of this book, Emily Henry. Zara, where do we start? So Emily Henry is the New York Times bestselling author of Beach Read. I think a lot of our listeners who are big sort of, dare I say, bookworms would have heard about Beach Read. I don't think any of us have read Beach Read, have no, we? No. So You and Me on Vacation is Emily Henry's second bestselling book. But what I found most interesting when I was doing my digging on her is that she's written a bunch of YA novels in the past. And this really did add up for me because I think there's a certain YA element to this book that's sort of hard to pin down, but maybe it's just the vibe. Yeah, I felt that too. What about you, Annabelle? Yeah, me too. I found it interesting to read that she tends to follow a similar pattern in a lot of her chick lit books. So Beach Read, You and Me on Vacation, and her next book, which is set to be released next year, follows this trend of like, there's always a writer who's one of the protagonists and they always end up going on a vacation. So the next book is called Book Lovers. It follows a writer who falls in love with her book editor. It reminds me of that horror story. What was that weird crime story we did this year on the, the podcast? Box. The Shadow Box. <laughs> and that author, when we went back through her history, had written so many oh, yes, almost so identical stories because it's a format that works. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about this is Emily Henry also said that with this book, she wanted to pay homage to When Harry Met Sally. That movie, I don't know if you guys have watched. Of what? course we've yes. watched okay, Harry I was like, <laughs> you're looking at me like, what else about it? But she did say she loved it so much. She kind of used it as, I would say, light inspiration. But I, I kind of love the idea that if you know something works, push it out. Who doesn't want to read about love and holidays. Yeah, I think this really ties in with her writing style as well. I read an interview that she did with the London magazine where she said, I do tend to write very quickly and very badly. I'm not afraid to write a terrible first draft. In fact, it's very comforting for me to finish a draft no matter how bad it is. I think it might have taken somewhere between three to five weeks to write a very bad first draft for Beach Read. I just let the ball of momentum fall down the mountain and carry me with it. After that, it's a lot more work because it's not a book. It's just a bunch of dialogue and tidbits of description. But I usually have an idea of where the book wants to go naturally and then I'm able to rewrite it. I love that. Me too. Because, I mean, I've never written a book, so it's different. But I tend to overthink and the overthinking just kind of like stifles me and I can't get anything out. Mm. So I like her approach. It's a very responsible approach, isn't yeah. it? Just like get over your own ego, get it all onto paper and then write. 
One thing that I did want to put on the record before we went anywhere is it's really interesting. So Emily Henry wrote People We Meet on Vacation as the US version and it's been renamed as You and Me on Vacation as the UK version and the version that we have here in Australia. Now, what's <laughs> incredibly intriguing about these two books is they actually kind of have very slightly different endings. So if you are wondering, I had to go deep on Reddit on this because it's not actually well reported or well written about. But on Reddit, I found out, do you want to know the difference between these two books? Please. So Ooh, well. <laughs> quite, quite niche and quite interesting and not at all what I was expecting. In the American version, in People We Meet on Vacation, in Tuscany, Alex gets a vasectomy <laughs> because Poppy has that pregnancy scare. And he what? gets he gets the I'm not even shitting you right now. He gets the vasectomy without telling his then girlfriend Sarah. And his justification later in the book, so people on Reddit had uploaded some of the pages of the book later where he talks to Poppy about it. And he said his justification for getting that vasectomy was, and I quote, I didn't want to accidentally get someone pregnant. Wait a minute, a me moment, Alex. Alex, can I introduce you to condoms? <laughs> and he said, oh, it's okay. I made that sure there was a way I could get it reversed. <laughs> now, I don't know a lot about vasectomies, but I don't think any of this is particularly easy. What the I wonder why Emily Henry wrote two versions, one different for the US. Just you wait, because I saw another comment on Reddit. This is why we bring you into the podcast. (laughs) That said, this is like Beach Read all over again, where the UK and the US editions had different endings. Now, as I've sat here, I've Googled Beach Read different endings, and there's all these threads on Reddit talking about how that book, that first New York Times bestseller, also had two different endings for the US and the UK. Dare I say, this is not Emily Henry sitting down in front of her laptop and saying, now this is my ending for the UK and this is my ending for America. I think this would be a publisher decision that I I think this is published by Penguin. Penguin Australia slash England is saying, oh, this won't resonate with our audience. It doesn't quite work. Let's remove that. It's just a small tweak. It won't make much of a difference. But to me, this is not a small tweak anymore. This is a pretty massive... We're talking about snipping someone's dick. <laughs> oh, wow. What do you think, Annabelle? Is that what, a, what is a vasectomy? It's tying his tubes or whatever. Something like that. <laughs> Dr. Michelle on the yeah. case. I mean, if any author can write two different endings, it's Emily Henry because clearly she knows how to write a lot mm, and yeah. she likes to. I would just be really intrigued if anyone from a publishing house is listening to this, please let us know why this might happen. I imagine it... You're right, Michelle. I imagine it's because the publishing houses think that one thing will resonate more in another country, but what's wrong with Australian vasectomies? We can handle it. (laughs) And can I ask, would you guys prefer the vasectomy storyline to have been left in? Zara? Yes. Same. It'd give us more to talk about. I agree with that because when I was looking at the pages of it being taken out, it's not like it was really replaced with anything. Yeah. It was the scene where basically Alex was talking to Poppy about him buying a ring for Sarah after Tuscany and then realising that he had Poppy in mind the whole time. And the conversation about the vasectomy is kind of interwoven with that. Right. And I'm kind of like, we didn't get anything extra. We just got something taken from us. Yeah. I also think, dare I say, yes, this is a curveball. Yes, it is a massive spanner. And I'm not entirely sure on how it sits with me. I would have appreciated a spanner regardless. I think without this tidbit, the story could be 
seen as a little bit lacklustre. I think a good vasectomy spanner is always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also intrigued to know whether that would have translated on the page and we wouldn't have necessarily yes. critiqued it because maybe it made sense in writing. Yeah, you're so right. It just seems so like out of Random. nowhere now. But yeah. yeah, there you go. All right, guys, I want to talk to you both about the structure of this book. You and Me on Vacation was current day storytelling mixed in with lookbacks on the vacations that Alex and Poppy took over their 12 years as best friends. Annabelle, I'll start with you. What did you think of that kind of cut back, now we're back in the present, cut back again kind of narrative? So initially when I read this and I caught on to the fact that this is how the book was going to be structured, I was like, love, love that. (laughs) This seems smart, like a great way to get some bits from the past and delve into the present. But as I was reading it around the middle of the book, it lagged for me. And Mm. this is probably one of the main gripes I had with the book. I kind of got bored by the middle because I don't know how much I need to know about 10 different trips and all the irrelevant little details about all of them. I agree with you. I think one thing about this book is there was just a lot of detail. I think we've said this about other books in the past. Maybe it was Swing Time by Zadie Smith. And I spent a lot of time in the early sort of parts of the book consuming the detail because I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to need later. Like, I don't want to miss something. (laughs) And then I kind of got halfway and I'm like, I don't know if I am going to need this later. Like, I think it's maybe filler. I actually didn't mind the structure. Like, I don't mind this structure in a book generally. It makes it a lot pacier for me because I'm always looking for the next chapter. But I did sort of struggle maybe towards the middle of the book with how much Croatia was used as a carrot. Like it did intrigue me at the start wondering what the hell happened between Poppy and Alex in in Croatia. But we found out about the Croatia kiss after they'd already had sex, like in real time. So we went back and I was like, well, a kiss is nothing compared to what they just did. Yeah, they just fucked in a balcony. Like how is a kiss anything? I agree with you. I really liked the structure. I think if I was changing it, I would do the past, present kind of back and forth only till about halfway or two thirds into the book. I feel like it served its purpose and then it didn't really make sense anymore. Like that Croatia trip felt so anticlimactic to me because we'd already had the great sex scene between them both, which I might say was a really well-written sex scene. I think Emily Henry does sex brilliantly. <laughs> Annabelle Lee. Like vigorously <laughs> nodding her head. <laughs> Enjoyed it, did you, Annabelle? We were looking for this. We, we were looking for yes. this for a while. I was thinking of you both when we got the sex. I was like, these two won't know what's hit them. I think it was really well written. This is a bit of a tangent, yeah, but go. let's just talk about it. I think it it was a well-written sex scene, but as I was reading it, I was realising maybe I'm just uncomfortable with reading sex scenes because, like, it was... What? You've been asking for them. I know, I have been, but it was just, like, the way that it happened. I was like, "Mm, maybe this isn't as good as I thought it would have been. I loved it. I I thought she wrote the sex really well. I do find myself doing a funny thing with the sex scenes and sometimes I, like skim parts maybe because I feel like it's too intimate for me to read (laughs) all about what they're doing even though they're not real people. Mitch came into the room when I was mid-sex scene and tried to show me a funny TikTok and I had to like take myself out of the sex scene, watch the funny TikTok and be like, if he knew what I was reading right now. (laughs) You always have to keep your book very tight to you when you live with people. And then after the TikTok, did you go back to the start of Of the sex scene so you can enjoy it? I needed to like re-acclimatise myself to the sex. It's so funny. I mean, (laughs) I've kind of lost my train of thought now that we're here but that was written really really well so that's a huge credit to her in terms of the structure but yes the the kiss felt incredibly anticlimactic by the time it came along it actually reminded me it made me think of 
Leanne Moriarty, and I don't know if you guys have read that book, Truly Madly Guilty. And in that book, Leanne, I won't spoil it if people haven't read it, but she basically has a carrot the whole time of being like, what happened at this barbecue? And it kind of went for too long. And I'm like, it made me realize it's a real art form for an author to work out when they kind of expose that carrot to keep you going. Because I think in Truly Madly Guilty, she left it a little long. In The Husband's Secret, she timed it perfectly. Yes. And that was pulled off better than any surprise kind of scene reveal that I've ever read in a book. I think The Husband's Secret is one of my favorite books ever because that is executed so brilliantly. Yeah. And it does make you think and wonder, like, this would be an incredibly hard thing to do to work out when do I... I expose this thing that I've been holding on to for so long. The other thing I think about these trips, we had 10 different trips and none of the trips necessarily stood out from one another, maybe bar a couple. And and so it all kind of just felt like a, a mesh of trips maybe because there was so many. So when it mm. came to the structure, I was like, oh, now we're in a different part of the world, but it just feels like the old part. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what happened on each of these trips. There were far mm. too many and nothing really noteworthy or special happened in my mind. Also, when it comes to the Croatia trip, I feel like what happened in the end of that trip wasn't even necessarily a carrot. Annabelle, it was like thank a little you. crumb, like oh, a little totally nibble agree. of a carrot. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I was reading the Croatia thing being like, well, I've waited 12 years to find out what happened in Croatia. And it's just that they had a kiss and then a slight miscommunication. And I've got to say, I do find the slight miscommunications that romance novels are built on to be a little tedious at times. Like, you're grown adults. We can have a big girl and big boy chat about how we're feeling without all of this, like, I don't know, like trains passing each other in the night. Yeah, I, I do find it interesting and a little bit ridiculous that you would go nearly two years not speaking to your best friend over something a like drunken that. drunken kiss. Where, where you don't even, like, talk about it. Yeah. I found that interesting and ridiculous and I think... <laughs> I was going to mention this later, but this whole episode is going to be a bit of a mishmash or whatever. The structure's clearly flown out the window. The sex scene rocked us all. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just kind of like, isn't the benefit of being friends with someone for so long before you start dating them the fact that your communication is like Mm. 10 out of 10 and yet these two have this remarkable ability throughout this book to have tiny disagreements for them to blow up and for them to never speak about it and just like push it under the rug. And I'm like, just be adults and mature about this. Yeah, I actually think this book would have been served by being a six-year-long friendship instead of a 12-year-long friendship. I found it a little bit unbelievable and we'll get into more things we find unbelievable after the ad break, but I just found it a bit annoying. It's like, this is 12 years now. Like, yes, I understand being nervous to tell a guy that you love him and vice versa for men to women or men to anyone that they love. But for 12 years for you to feel that and not do anything, like it's just very immature and very YA. Yeah, I agree. It was so annoying. One quick thing before we jump into the ad break and jump into a big conversation about believability because I think we have so much to say is Poppy is my nightmare holiday friend. Yes. She wants to squeeze way too much into a day. (laughs) There was this one absolutely horrifying scene where she'd done like three different things in the day and she looked at her watch and she's like, oh my God, it's only 4pm. What am I going to squish in before the end of the day? I'm like, honey, 4pm is the end of your holiday day. Yeah, I hated that too. I'm so glad I kind of disagree. (laughs) I like this holiday approach by Poppy. (laughs) Annabelle, I've got hot news for you. We are never going on vacation together. (laughs) You, me, vacation? Come on. No. Coming up after the break, guys, we'll talk all about believability, what we liked, what we didn't like, and, of course, our star rating for you and me on vacation. But first, a word from today's sponsor. 
All right, my friends, how believable did we find you and me on vacation? Zara, I will start with you. This has been a big discussion point. Like obviously before we do these podcasts, we never want to talk about things because we want to save all of our genuine reactions for the show with our listeners. But we were all kind of sussing each other out in a little (laughs) circle before being like, did you believe X and did you believe Y? Let's start with you. What was believable or not so believable about this book? I mean, I think I'll start by saying I feel like a little bit of a broken record on this podcast because I feel like in the last few episodes I've harped on a lot about how much I need a book to be believable in order to really fall in love with it. And I think that's just something that I need the older that I get. You know what I didn't actually find believable and this is a really hard thing to acknowledge because it's basically what the whole book was about, but I didn't believe the friendship. Oh, yeah. I didn't have that. That's really interesting. Why not? It's it's really interesting because I have no doubt I'm projecting my own experiences and my own relationships here. I love a good love story and I love a good friendship, but I didn't believe that a friendship could survive 12 years that intimately. I don't know anyone in my life who has a friendship that exists like this one for 12 years without it either falling apart or them coming together and dating. Like to me, this was never ever a platonic friendship. Like Mm. there was no friendship that was ever part of this. It was way too intimate to be defined as a friendship for me. Like I've just never seen anything like it. And again, I might be projecting my own experiences, but it feels very rare that these two could be talking so intimately about how much they love each other and for them still to be kidding themselves that it was a friendship. Interesting. Annabelle. See, I totally agree with you. That makes perfect sense to me. But when I opt in for a chick lit book, like when I start to read it, I feel like all of that sense kind of like melts away. And I just believe everything in the book because that's what I'm accepting from the story. You feel like you opt into a sugary experience. The details don't really matter. Exactly. Like I feel like a lot in this book probably didn't make sense, but that's what I like. <laughs> that's what I like about it. Yeah. It's so far from reality that I get to escape with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did believe the friendship. One thing that just stuck out to me, and I don't know again if I'm being unfair, is the fact that this is a person in Poppy who has built her following online. She is like cutting edge, new age technology. If She's blogging 12 years ago, which at the time blogging was pretty new and fresh. Yet she builds this Instagram following, this blog, and then goes to a travel magazine, which sounds like it's out of the mid-90s. Like realistically, <laughs> which magazine in 2021 has the budget or the readership to send people on these lavish like trips, let alone still be in circulation. Yeah. Like, what magazine? Am I confused? In America, is travel magazines still a thing? It hasn't probably been a thing for the last 10 years, especially magazines with money. Like all that's happened in the last 10 to 15 years, particularly at Condé Nast, which would be a kind of publisher that would have a magazine like this, has been shedding stars. Yes. And so I'm reading this going, this is a new age zillennial, Gen Z, millennial, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) New age millennial. Why would she go to a magazine when she could just focus on her personal blog and make so much more money? And then why is she still blogging in 2021? Why are we still talking about her abandoning the blog or not posting enough on the blog in current day tense? Blogs, uh, apologies for any listeners who have them, are not really what's going on right now. Instagram pages and TikTok is what's going on. It felt a little bit boomeresque. 
This is why, though, I find <laughs> books like this so hard to critique because, yes, that all makes sense to me, but I genuinely did not think about it when I was reading it. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. What a dream job. Like, if all of those things that you just talked about were mentioned in the book, it would have taken away from the, like, the mm. spectacle of it all and it wouldn't have made sense to me. It's such a hard one because I agree with both of you wholeheartedly. Like, the magazine thing, particularly as someone as who is a journalist, is like, where is this happening? Like, talk. <laughs> Talk to me about where this is happening. But I also agree with you, Annabelle. Like, is it our responsibility when we open a book like this, knowing exactly what they're telling us the book is going to be, to just sort of buy into it? And the experience of the book is meant to sort of take you elsewhere and be some form of escapism rather than a book that's sort of built to be heavily critiqued. I mean, I'm mm. really interested in what our listeners and our fellow readers think. Like, I want to always be doing books like this through book club because I think they're a really nice way to sort of just like chill. Yeah. Break it up. Break yeah. it up. I think they're really important books, but they also are harder books to critique. I mean, I'm leading this point into probably my pickiest body point of the entire episode. Oh, give it to us. Which was 12 summers organising a trip with the same friend. <laughs> like, is that something that happens? I could never organise a trip with the same friend every summer. Life is far too fluid. Oh, what are they talking about as well? Like, surely they've run out of conversations. Yeah, well, also, I'm sorry, but if you have a romantic partner and you're going away on one-on-one -on -one solo trips with a best friend that you clearly have romantic feelings for... You're not the hero of this story. You're the villain. I was going to get to this later, but we may as well talk about it now. <laughs> this seems to be the theme of this episode. Poppy is the villain of this book and I will not hear anything else. Poppy is the girl that your partner tells you not to worry about. She's that friend who constantly needs to remind you that she's been friends with Alex for 12 years and they go on this solo trip together every year and they're the best of friends and she understands him in a way that no one else can and she wears vintage clothes only and she's big on social media. She's that girl that I really fucking don't like. I like Sarah, the nice <laughs> girlfriend who no wonder was always threatened by Poppy. Poppy's too unself-aware to actually put herself in anyone else's shoes and understand how she's coming across. I have to be honest, Thea. I, I think you need to have exactly the same critique as Alex or else this is infused with internalised misogyny. Like, Alex did exactly the same things. He's just quiet and unassuming and doesn't have a big personality. And we're told that women aren't allowed to have big personalities and that's why you're annoyed. No, I'm I annoyed because she hated Sarah. She always bitched yes, about Sarah and I think, constantly. Yeah, I think that's totally fair, but we didn't. This book wasn't built as much from the perspective of Alex, so we didn't just see nearly as much of Alex as we saw of Poppy. We didn't see the goings on of his life nearly as much as we saw with Poppy, but we don't know what he was saying behind the scenes about Poppy. He was a coward in his mm, relationships. That's fair. He, he was an absolute coward, and that annoys me as well. Both of these two are the villains, and I feel for both of their partners. Great points, <laughs> I agree with you. I do think that even though it was told from the perspective of Poppy, Alex's negative traits did kind of shine through when he was always a bit judgy about Poppy's partners and mm. like always had some sort of problem with all of her boyfriends. And I didn't like him. I didn't like Alex more than I didn't like Poppy. Really? Yeah. See, I, for some reason, did like Alex. I think what really grinded my gears about Poppy is she continually tried to shit on Sarah. Like, she constantly brought her up. She had this weird obsession with her. She couldn't help herself but take slings at Sarah. And I just found that really hard to stomach. The thing that I found difficult with Alex was him constantly calling Poppy in the car on his way to or from the gym and keeping that from his girlfriend. Like That's if you I mean. flipped this story from Sarah's perspective, I just think these two are not the best people and I found that difficult to stomach. 
back to the believability thing for a second, I struggled to believe that Poppy's parents were giving her a birds and the bees talk when she was in her second year of college. Like that scene to me where her mum sat her down and goes, I think it's time that we have a talk. I was like, is this borrowed out of a YA novel again? Like she's not 15. She's been living out of home for over a year now. And you randomly think that because she's going on a holiday, she's going to start sleeping with people. She's been living in a dorm for over 12 months. I wasn't as worried about that. It's super late to be having that chat. But I feel like what we were told about her parents is that they were super quirky and just like not really on the pulse generally. So it kind of fit that description. Yeah, it's also probably like a peace of mind thing. A parent feels like, oh, like I've had the conversation now and I can just let her be free and do what she wants. Maybe I just had that chat super early. I reckon I had that chat at like 12 or 13, what sex was. You know what? I don't think I ever had that chat. I was just about to say, (laughs) I'm not entirely sure I did either. (laughs) All right, guys, let's get into our likes and dislikes when it comes to this book. Annabelle, I will start with you. We've had a little bit of negativity, so let's talk about what we loved. Yes. So as you all know, I love chiclet, so I loved a lot of this book. I love that like overly cheesy, overly saccharine stuff. Yes, sometimes like a line was crossed and it got a bit cringe, but generally, especially for the first half of the book, I really liked the pacing and the language and the dialogue. I will say though, I really didn't like the mm-hmms <laughs> that Poppy kept saying. What? <laughs> no, she did say that a lot. I'm with you on that. I can't even remember that. I was like, just say yes. <laughs> a lot of mm-hmms and a lot of mm's. Yeah. Oh my God, I that can't so remember any of this. <laughs> I love that. It's like the most nitpicky so thing ever. I thought we were meant to be doing what's positive anyway. I mean, on the topic to kind of feed back through believability and what I did really like, I enjoyed Tuscany. It felt fun and vivid and it felt one of the few places that I believed their friendship and their dynamic. I mean, yes, these were two people who have been sort of interested in each other on and off over the years, but it made sense to me that they could both bring new partners to the fore and all of those partners can get along and after a few wines they could be playing games together. Mm. I also really liked a scene, and I actually don't have a specific page number, but I have a feeling it was when Poppy went back to Linfield to tell Alex how she felt about him and she bumped into Sarah. And she did make a point at the end where she was like, if I didn't spend all this time demonising Sarah in my mind because I loved Alex, I probably would have learned to have loved her very, very quickly. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. I think we can flatten women. I think women can do it to women really easily where we can consciously or unconsciously see other women as competition because we live in a very patriarchal structure or see women who once dated our partners or who are dating our ex-partners and just flatten them and demonise them. But the odds are we would all probably get along with them very, very well. And I think it was a very nice moment of clarity for Poppy to be like, I've been a bit of an asshole. I've never actually seen her as human or I've never actually seen the reasons why Alex loved her and I probably could too. Yeah. Another scene that I adored was when she was sick, homesick with pneumonia and Alex came to care for her. I felt like I saw that scene and I felt like I was in that scene more than any of the others in this book. I also thought the car ride scene very, very early on in the book, that car ride home from college felt real to me as well. I think when Emily Henry gets into her groove and kind of hits the ground running with a certain scene. She can paint it really, really well with her words. Some of the text conversations between them as well also 
struck me as realistic and bubbly and fizzy. Like I felt excited when I read some of the text messages, particularly when the line was getting blurred between best friends and maybe something more. Like there was just this very, very brief passage on page 240 that I read and I went, oh my God, I can imagine if I was a young woman receiving this message from my long-term best friend, how I would feel. Emily Henry wrote, I can't wait to see you, I text, feeling suddenly like saying this very normal thing is bold, risky even. I know, Alex writes back, it's all I can think about. And I think in that moment, it's like, oh, like it's, a, it's a risky thing to say and you get the message back. And I think we've all been in that moment. And I liked how Emily Henry played that back for us. It's so interesting because I totally appreciate what you're saying about those texts being well written and that example being kind of one that gave you a bit of bubbliness. But it was also that exchange where I was like, you're not talking to a platonic friend like that. Like I'm talking a bit more like, oh, my God, fuck yeah, like can't wait for this fucking holiday. (laughs) Maybe not like that. (laughs) I don't know. I don't actually text like that. Like a total bogey. (laughs) So many beeps needed to be over that Okay, maybe let me start that again. (laughs) Maybe a text being like, oh, my God, get me to the beach where we've got a wine in our hand and we're like on this holiday rather than like, I know it's all I can think about. Like, mm. But this is like a fluffy chiclet romance. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, let's get back to our roots here. <laughs> but those texts exchanged were one of the reasons why I did believe this friendship and also the road trip mm. more specifically was why I did believe this friendship. I think that Emily Henry did a really good job of illustrating this bond between two people who were really different. Yeah. Because I don't know if that's necessarily easy to write on a page. Two really different people getting along so well. Yeah, I could have done without some of the uh, inside jokes like sad puppy face and tiny <laughs> fighter. <laughs> I also don't necessarily understand the origins. Like, <laughs> okay. I think it was <laughs> Flannery O'Connor was the tiny fighter. <laughs> But what makes Poppy the tiny... This is another thing. What makes the cat the tiny fighter? (laughs) The cat had problems, health problems. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you didn't pay attention to the animal story. I think I might have skipped that bit. (laughs) Sorry to bring up another negative thing. On the tiny fighter narrative, I hated how often we were told how teeny tiny Poppy was. Like the... (laughs) There was one passage on page 303, and I'm sorry, by this point in the book, I was finding it insufferable how often we had to be reminded that Poppy could fit in your pocket. She's like, <laughs> little pocket rocket, Poppy. <laughs> There's nothing worse than being called a pocket rocket. I've been, as someone who's been called one in my past, it is the biggest fucking slap. <laughs> Note to self, never call Zara <laughs> pocket rocket. This was from page 303. Nikolai's fumigation tent balcony is deeply offended, Alex says. That fumigation tent will always be in my heart, I promise, and squeeze his hand, which emphasises our size difference in a way that makes my spine tingle. I'm sorry, I know that it might be internalised misogyny, but she is that girl who's like, I'm so tiny and I get along with all the boys. And like, I She's not like clothes. that. She is like that and I don't like it. <laughs> I don't think she is the kind of person that says I get along with all the boys. Like, she has a very female, dare I say, stereotypically feminine, quote unquote, best friend in Rachel, who's that influencer. <laughs> I don't know. I just think, I think half our issues with Poppy, because I do, I don't think she was the most likable character. I think it's because it was all from her perspective and we needed to hear more from Alex. I think for me, one thing as I went through the book, I think it was you, Mish, that said this to me, being like, I can't believe they were like 30 when they finished the book. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I never accounted for growth. <laughs> I actually had them. Honestly, I'm shocked. They were 30? Yeah. Well, they were 18 when they met. 
So yeah, 12, 12. Summers. 18 plus year 12. Maths. Yep. We love month maths. We <laughs> love year maths. And so you start thinking about it like that and I was like, there was nothing throughout the years that kind of signaled to me that they were growing up. Like they so acted the same as they did when they were 18. And I do appreciate that with some relationships, you do kind of revert to how you, what your dynamic was like, I guess, when you met. But I'm like, at 30, I would honestly think that the relationship would have matured. Poppy's teasing was, I guess, indicative of a friendship because I tease a lot of my friends. But also by this age, I'm also talking to them about deeper things and it's not sort of built on this sort of banter as much as it used to. Yeah, they seem immature for 30-year-olds, I've got to say. Also, beyond that, when you're getting older, surely you start to have more open communicative conversations about like your relationship. And as you say, Zara, about the whole like friendship not being believable is just purely platonic. When you're 30 and you still have this really close, a little bit like sexual relationship with someone, surely you talk about it. You're 30. (laughs) This also reminds me of one passage on page 254 that stood out to me because at this point they're 30 again. Everyone keep that in mind when I read this out. If I could speak, I'd tell him this is the best kiss I've had in my entire life, that I didn't know that just kissing could feel this good, that I could just make out with him for hours and it would be better than the best sex I've ever... (laughs) I remember this one. (laughs) Am I kissing people wrong? Can a kiss be that good? Or is she sexing them wrong? Three hours of kissing, Jesus. I'm so sorry, but how is that not escalating? (laughs) Like how? Just make out, like your mouth would hurt. Kissing's great. It's not better than sex. You cannot show me a kiss that is better than the best sex you've ever had by the age of 30 where you've probably had a decent amount of sex. Yeah, it's it's a funny <laughs> quote. I mean, clearly we were just meant to be told that it was a great kiss. <laughs> Apparently. All right, our final section of today's episode, we need to talk about that ending It was an ending that a lot of people would have seen coming. We know what we are supposed to expect with romance books. We did get a tiny spanner right towards the end, though. Zara, talk to me about the final 50 pages. I liked the final couple of pages the most where they were in, I think it was the epilogue, when they were in New York and they were living together and they were working. And I thought that seems believable and quite lovely and very realistic and a nice way for this book to finish. I thought that it made sense that they would sort of compromise and go between Linfield and New York until they worked out where they wanted to be. I, I'm i just realising I didn't read the epilogue. <laughs> I finished this book and was like, thank fuck. Wait, wait, so where did you finish with it? With with him saying, you're my home? Oh, oh honey. No, no, it gets much better in the epilogue. Yeah, the epilogue is just a bit less saccharine for me and a bit more like, okay, what does the real life relationship look like past the we're in love with each other? Oh, my God, so where are they? I missed out. What well, happened? they're in her New York apartment. Okay. And they spend summer, his school holidays at Linfield, and they're trying to suss out where they're going to live, basically. Right, yeah, Annabelle? Yeah. The picture that's painted is like they're living a very monotonous yet happy, comfortable life. Which is what I liked because I was like, that is, yes, you can have this like very huge burst of love when you first meet someone, but it doesn't last. Yeah. <laughs> like you love them, but it's like you kind of settle into life together. And I thought that was painted quite nicely. Thanks for filling me in. <laughs> <laughs> Annabelle? I agree with you, Zara. I loved the epilogue. I didn't like the ending before that. Mm. I thought that it just brought out all of their communication issues. The way that that fight escalated at the airport, I didn't quite understand why Alex got so upset 
Or I did understand, but I didn't understand why he didn't want to talk it through and he just kind of left. Got on the plane. Yeah, it was so weird. Again, you're 30. Figure it out. Well, I thought it escalated way too quickly. Like they went from the conversation about R&R and her paying for it to I actually don't even remember where it escalated, but I just remember being like, oh, we got here very quickly. Mm, Yeah, I didn't love it either. I also, sorry for being obvious, airport rundowns or like airport fights when someone's like getting on a plane I'm like it's a bit of a cliche Nah, if I love it in love actually I cannot be picky about it here <laughs> I simply cannot <laughs> criticize it you brought up a really interesting point to me Zara about how they were so scared to fall in love that really stuck with me yeah well this wasn't even a criticism or anything about this book but just the thought generally that I think we see in a lot of romance novels is at the end in the last few pages when Poppy and Alex are talking about how they're in love with each other and they've both acknowledged that they love each other. And Alex says to Poppy, it's okay, it's fucking terrifying to be in love with each other. And I was like, this is so interesting as something that's peddled out in so many of these books because I'm like, a genuine question, not even trying to be a dickhead, what is scary about falling in love when you both know you love each other? I can totally appreciate how terrifying it is loving someone not knowing if they feel similarly about you. But isn't that like the most safe place to be, that it's not scary? But then Michelle was like, maybe we're just commitment people. What do you think, Annabelle? No, I agree with you. This is why I had gripes with the ending because it just felt like Emily Henry was trying to create tension where there didn't really necessarily need to be because there is a sense of safety and security in knowing that you both love each other. And sure, there are other complications, but I feel like the fear that was described in the end of this book seemed unrealistic to me. Yeah. Because you've known each other for 12 years. Like this is about as safe as love can be. You know their families, you know their friends, you know them inside out. There's really nothing to learn you here. We've also put up with tension for like 330 pages. Just give us 20 without any. Like we've earned it now. You don't need to give us 300 pages with tension, a couple of pages without tension when they finally have sex and love each other and get together and they'll be like, but wait, there's more. (laughs) Like there doesn't need to be more. Also, the risk with them was that their friendship would be no more if it didn't work out. But we'd known from pages before that that they went two years without speaking so Mm. they'd already lost their friendship before. Why not give it a go? Yeah, I totally agree with you. Does this mean it's time? Can I have one more gripe before? Yeah, you so can. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I forgot to get this in earlier and I simply must bring it up with the both of you because it has stuck with me ever since. Page 33. Here we go. Early on. (laughs) Yeah. Why the hell was this a line? When you imagine a new best friend for yourself, you never name him Alex. What? Huh? (laughs) Alex is a very typical name. I know plenty of Alexes. What is that? But do you have a best friend called Alex? No, she makes a good point. I'm just trying to think like when you imagine a new best friend. You never name him Alex. When am I imagining? I mean, this also might be a US experience because they go off to college and maybe imagine their lives changing at a certain age that ours don't. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, I I just had to pull that in because I read that. I'm like, don't you? What's wrong with the name? (laughs) Yeah, it would be weirder if it was like you don't imagine their name to be Connect via HDMI. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was literally just on the board behind Michelle. (laughs) Took me a while to click there. Yeah, Yeah, especially people who are listening to this who who can't see those words behind Michelle's head. Alex, never. You never never imagine your best friend to be called Alex. Anyway, thank you for allowing me to have my little sidebar. (laughs) You're welcome. Let's do some ratings. Zara McDonald, I will start with you. Out of five stars, what do you give you and me on vacation? I'd love a refresher on what you gave the last book, actually. Yeah, I gave Fault Lines four and a half. Ooh, all right. Um, So we're coming off a good rating. Annabelle, can you go first? I still need to think. I will go first. I have thought about this. This is why I love Book Club, because if we hadn't had this discussion, I probably would have given it like a four, 4.5, but I'm going to go for a 3.5. 
because of the ending and the laggy middle, but I did love the sugariness of the entire book. Interesting, interesting. I will go because Zara is still blankly staring off into space <laughs> trying to figure out a number. I think I'm going to go at 2.5. I think it's fine. It's a fine book. I don't have much more to say about it. Like I'm not saying people shouldn't read it. I'm just saying there are books higher up on the shelf that I would reach to get for them. I think I'm going to go a three because you know what? It was flawed in, in many ways for me, but I also the experience of reading it, and I don't think I've actually made this point enough through this episode, was pretty lovely. Like it was an easy thing to get through. It was enjoyable. I generally looked forward to picking it up and reading the pages. There was no dread there. This is not where the bar should be. But <laughs> I feel like I'm too harsh. I feel like I need to revise mine to a three now. No, you don't have to. No, but I think I need to because I think you're right. I It was fine. Like I yeah. enjoyed it. It was a sugary book. I had some little giggles through there. I didn't find it all believable. Maybe a three is the perfect I think it review. is. Yeah, because it's like it's an enjoyable thing to get through. I mean, they ended up together in the end, which we would have rioted if they didn't anyway. Like yeah. it's just one of those like a nice book for the moment that we find ourselves in where the world's a bit nuts and you can kind of pull yourself into a world. Nice. Two threes and a three and a half. It sparked joy. Thanks, yes. Emily, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for listening to our September instalment of the Shameless Book Club. Next month, we are reading the much-loved debut novel from Elka Joshi called The Henna Artist. At 62 years of age, Joshi released her first ever novel and it immediately became a New York Times bestseller. It's also, you guys, being developed for a TV series. So, what's it about? Well, here's a taster from the blurb. Escaping from an abusive marriage, 17-year-old Lakshmi makes her way alone to the vibrant 1950s pink city of Jaipur. There, she becomes the most highly requested henna artist and confidant to the wealthy women of the upper class. But trusted with the secrets of the wealthy, she can never reveal her own. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we cannot wait to dive into this one. I've had a couple of girlfriends read it and rave about it to me, so... I literally can't wait. But in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at The Shameless Book Club and our Facebook group, Shameless Book Club, where everybody posts what they're reading. Thanks, team. See you guys. See you next month. Thanks, guys. Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.